electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, a major media story, Fox News and Dominion reaching a last minute settlement before trial. If I was a shareholder, I might sue them for how badly they handled the suit. $787 million, and it may just be the beginning of legal troubles for Fox's board. Does that mean that they're fired? Do they have insurance against this? Are they being sued for hundreds of millions of dollars that they have or don't have? Is Rupert Murdoch personally being sued? And what's moving the markets, the SPACs of the past, and the AI of the future with NASDAQ CEO Adina Friedman? The regulators really need to think about how can this technology actually be harnessed for the right purposes? How can we bring it into the markets? How can we bring it into the financial system in a way to protect it? All that today, plus the dreaded green text bubble, a new move for Lululemon, and Netflix makes a big change. I didn't realize they still were doing that. Do you have a DVD player? There's one in the basement. You have a Betamax. It's Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're all here. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Late yesterday, as you probably know by now, Fox News and Dominion voting systems reached the 787.5. That's seven and seven eighths. Exactly. Dollar uh, settlement. Uh, heading off a trial shortly after the jury was sworn in. Eamon Javers joins us now with the details. Uh, and a special guest, uh, Eamon, and uh, th- that's the expression, settling on the courthouse steps. This is almost like settling on the, uh, I don't know, what's, what's the next step? Yeah, it's like uh, after the jury's been. <laughs> Joe, the steps are right here. Then they went inside, up the escalator, down the hall, into the courtroom, impaneled the jury, and then they did the settlement yesterday. It was dramatic stuff here in Wilmington, Delaware. You know, the, the judge had impaneled the jury. Everybody was ready to go. The lawyers had been rehearsing their opening statements. Their, all their uh, processes were in place. Uh, the judge then let the jury go for lunch and said, you know, come back in an hour. And then slowly time started to tick by, and it was like three hours before we got the official announcement that this thing had been settled. The judge brought the jury back into the room uh, and told them that the parties had resolved their differences, thanked the jury for their very brief service, uh, and sent them on their way. But this morning, I'm joined by one of the people who made the decision uh, to actually do this settlement. This is Hutan Yagubzada. He is uh, one of the co-founders of Staple Street Capital. And Hutan, you bought Dominion uh, back in 2018 for about $38 million. You were one of the people who made the decision to take this deal from Fox News yesterday. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. Tell me how you feel this morning. Um, we feel we feel good about um, you know being able to accomplish our goals of uh, keeping Fox accountable and, and exposing uh, the truth. 
Uh, walk us through the negotiations in the days leading up to this. I mean, we saw the, de- the trial was delayed by a full day. That's right. uh, there was a lot of speculation that there were settlement talks flying back and forth. We couldn't get any hint of that publicly in terms of exactly how things were going behind sure. the scenes. When did Fox make their first offer? Well, there was, there's been settlement conversations that have been happening for a while. Uh, but the judge on Friday had, you know, really pushed the parties to see if, if they could reach a settlement. Um, and so there were conversations happening um, throughout that period of time. And what was Fox's first offer? You can't disclose that. You can't disclose <laughs> no, it, but it wasn't enough. Disclose that, but it was not enough. That's correct. And how did things finally come together? What was it that brought this deal across the finish line? Well, for us, the first thing was we wanted to make sure that we had a, 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 um, the time for, for all the truth to come out. We were not willing to settle until uh, the reams of information that we were able to gain through the discovery process had an opportunity to see the daylight. Um, that was a very, very important thing for us. And we wanted to also go through summary judgment motion to make sure that um, you know, the court could have its the court could have its ruling um, and the number had to be you know right uh, to be able to compensate us for the significant harm and damage they caused to the company its employees and the management team and I know our anchors back in the studio want to get in on this guys go ahead and ask some questions if you guys want to jump in I, I, I don't know if this could be directed at anyone I guess what 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 gets me is it just would have been, if you were going to eventually settle for this amount, I, I certainly would have done it a lot sooner, it, it seems like. And, and it's not like the, the stuff that, was, uh, that came out in Discovery. I would think that Fox knew everything that they were turning over. And I don't know if they, if they misjudged what the uh, perception of all that information would be or what, but... but it all came out. I mean, if you did it earlier, it, it, it didn't have to all come out. Now it comes out and you still owe almost $800 million. That, I think I might, if I was a shareholder, I, I, might, not, I might sue them for how badly they handled the suit. Well, <laughs> you know, we were always amazed um, by some of the decision-making happening there, to be quite honest with you. Th- their newsworthiness arguments just never made any sense to us, and we... It, it, we just we we never understood it. But from our perspective, we were also not willing to settle until the truth was exposed. I guess it's all going to be written about by uh, about by people that, that are beating the bushes to try and figure out what happened. But what Smartmatic? Yeah. They're asking for how much? Two points. Smartmatic is asking for two point seven billion, Joe. And look, they put out a statement yesterday, right after this settlement, saying that Dominion was able to expose some of the lies, what they call lies from Fox News. Uh, we're going to expose the rest, right? It was a very feisty statement from Smartmatic. So you can see that, you know, other people out there at Fox News uh, in the crosshairs now because this settlement sort of sets a benchmark for where this where these payouts might have to go in the future. So if you're asking for two point seven, Dominion was asking one point six and got seven eighty seven. If you're asking two point seven, uh, don't ask me to do the math on right. live television, but that's an even bigger payout, right? right? And how do, you, how do you cover if Trump? the facts Trump, are, are the same? Trump's running again. How do you cover him with this, all of this? You know, uh, very carefully, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> all right. It's not funny. I, it's just, I mean, so I, they I, got four billion in cash. Yeah, they let's do. Say they, so they have 800 million that's going out the door basically in right. this settlement. Let's say they do it again. Yeah. Is it again? Is it more? I let's, have no you idea. Put it 1.2. I don't make it. Make up your number. 
So they'll have $2 billion of cash when, when this is over? Well, it's just all, you know, if you were a shareholder and your name's not Murdoch, you'd be mad, probably. Oh, 100%. And you'd be I'm mad just, at I'm the just, board, I'm just talking probably. about, you know, can you do right, it and what right. happens to the company? Right. I mean, Rupert would, if he owned the whole thing, he'd just say, I don't give a damn, everybody's, I don't know. I, we just got to see what happens. But he doesn't own the whole firm. Google plans to launch its first foldable smartphone sometime in June. That's according to internal communications viewed by CNBC. It plans to announce the device, codenamed Felix, at its developer conference on May 10th. The phone will cost upward of $1,700 and compete with Samsung's similarly priced Galaxy Fold. The documents also showed that Google is planning a trade-in option for people to swap their current smartphones and will offer a free Pixel watch to people who buy the Pixel Fold. Amazing to me. I mean, when you text someone, screen. when you text someone and it's green, don't you go, "What's wrong with this person?" Oh, because they're not on an Apple. Yes. Yeah. Don't you sick it? Yeah, because I also love to know if it's delivered, not delivered. Right. But well, I, I feel, I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad for him. It's like, oh, geez, I wonder if things. Uh, are... You know, there are people who actually like it for technical reasons, but it, if you're, if you're a social person. But it's... who buys these? So there's a bunch of people on Android. A bunch. Yeah, there are. A bunch more, more people are Android than an Apple. <laughs> a lot of people in okay. India. You right. have you you cop to it though. You go, oh my God, it's green. Ugh. Well, no. Sometimes when I'll sometimes I get a green one, whole, I think it's not working. I question the whole relationship with right. the person. Oh, I don't. I, I don't. I feel bad. Like I know there are people in my family who do it, and they can't be on any of the text text chats the same way. Right. I'm they kidding. I'm kidding. But I do like the blue. The blue blue is good. Green is bad. Meantime, your you're favorite, very tribal. Yeah, I your know. favorite company. <laughs> Tell me about it. Your other favorite company. I don't know what kind of pants you're wearing today, Joe. I got them on. CNBC uh, learning that Lululemon, we're not talking about ABC pants this morning, looking to sell its at-home fitness business Mirror, has approached uh, competitor Hydro as a potential buyer. Hydro, private startup that sells connected rowing machines. Unclear if Hydro interested in moving forward with the deal. Lululemon acquired Mirror for $500 million dollars the height of the home fitness bonanza in June of 2020 during the three months that ended Jan 29th, Lululemon said it took $443 million in impairment charges related to Mirror, surprise, surprise, like the whole thing. and said hardware Basically. sales were below expectations. The Mirror product, which once retailed for $1,500, now sells for as low as $995, requires a $39 monthly subscription charge. It's a cool product. I've actually checked it out, but I never, th I mean, I, this was supposed to be their entree into this, but I thought you, you, to do it, you'd have to decide you're going you know, full on. You'd have to do the mirror. You'd have to maybe get into other sort of hardware Peloton. These, the hardware software sub business, it's a hard one. And yeah. Peloton has learned it you Better know, think about it. more than anybody else. So they bought at the height. Did they buy in stock or in cash? Do we know? I don't I know. I, don't I actually think they might. I don't, I don't want to misspeak on this one, but yeah. you know, um, they basically wrote down the whole the thing. The whole thing, 443 million. Netflix shares down a bit in the pre-market following first quarter earnings last night and a big initial stock drop. The company slightly missed revenue estimates with feet on the bottom line. Second quarter guidance coming in a bit light, though. Netflix also said it would delay a broad rollout of its password sharing crackdown into the second quarter, though it seems like it's working a bit here. Investors have been focused on that initiative as well as the company's new ad-supported streaming tier. Here's co-CEO Greg Peters on last night's earnings call. We've got a lot of work to do to develop, continue to develop uh, features that support advertisers. We're rolling out things like measurement and verification, but we've got you know a bigger, long, longer roadmap that we have to go do there. 
We're improving our go-to-market and sales capabilities in partnership with Microsoft. There's a lot of you know good work that we have to go do, and some of this is hard work because it's very country by country. Netflix also announcing it would be shutting down its DVD mailing business. Uh, the company said it continues to shrink. It sent 5.2 billion discs in total. The first movie it ever mailed, Beetlejuice, happened on March 10th, 1998. <laughs> sort of a little bit of a time bubble machine or something. The most um, DVD, uh, most shipped DVD, The Blind Side, with Sandra Bullock, mm-hmm. which was a great film. Michael, Beetle Michael Beetle Lewis Beetle was uh, Don't say it three times. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Remember what happened? Then he'd show up. Oh, right. Do you remember? I don't remember the, you know, I remember the films, but not the way you, you have this sort of, you know, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, special brain for, uh, and you know, you know who the star, Johnny Depp, right? No, that was Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. But the star of it was Alec Baldwin, and he looked like he was 12 in that. Really? Yeah. Remember. I don't remember that movie. I don't think I ever saw it. You're kidding. Dina Davis? That's right. And um, the shoplifter, Winona Ryder. Yeah. So maybe that's the Johnny Depp uh, maybe. connection. Six oh, no, I'm thinking of Edward, Edward Sitter's scissor hands. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Another yeah. weird one. Hairdresser on fire. I told you yesterday to watch Netflix <laughs> at the end, and you misunderstood me. And the, but, but you already do. I just saw a fun new blind. show, by the way, last night. It's coming out on Thursday. You know, for someone who doesn't watch and gives me grief about it, you diplomat. Why do you know all the My old friend Deborah Kahn. It is fabulous and fun. And I hope you'll enjoy it. What the hell is that it. about? It's about a diplomat who goes to Europe. And it's, 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 it's sort of like a, a West Wing meets uh, international intrigue with a little bit of homeland. What there. was the last one you liked? The Fleetwood Mac thing. Did you finish that? The, uh... Oh, that's great. What is it called? Daisy Jones and the Six. Did you, you finish that yes, one? Yes, you got to watch it. Okay. Yeah. The Diplomat is my favorite restaurant, you know, down in uh, the Star Restaurant Group. Just a plug for the Diplomats in D.C. The, the streaming giant, maybe I'll get a table near a waiter next time. Uh, the, Henny Youngman. They're getting out, you know, this is going to affect me. They're getting out of that DVD by mail business. <laughs> When's the last I time used, I, used, I signed up for it that long ago? That's I know, but when's away. the last time someone? I mean, they don't even have. Any, I, I, I didn't realize they still. Do they don't even have anyone in that department yeah. anymore. You go down there, and it's no, like I, there's not even. I didn't realize they still were doing that. Do you have a DVD player? Yesterday, uh, connected I, to your. We all have one. Down. I, there's one in the basement. Do you have a Betamax player? No. Is the question. No. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, NASDAQ CEO Adina Friedman. What it takes to launch an IPO these days, plus how artificial intelligence is changing our financial system. We're looking at how can we use AI in the markets to be uh, have more dynamic order types to improve the experience for investors. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Quarterly results out for the NASDAQ. Earnings coming in at 69 cents a share. That is three cents better than the street was expecting. Revenue, $914 million for the quarter. That was also ahead of estimates. For a look at the state of technology, the IPO landscape and more, we want to bring in NASDAQ CEO and board chair Adina Friedman. And Adina, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. All right, let's talk about some of these numbers, because if you were looking at the markets and the IPO markets, you know, we've heard from all the banks. There's obviously not been a lot of M&A. There's not been IPOs. There haven't been those things. But your business is diversified at this point. So you have other things that really are coming in. Yeah, we're really pleased that we're continuing to show strong execution, even with this challenging market backdrop. I think that we had 4% overall growth in the business and 7% growth in our analyzed recurring revenues, which really reflects the diversified platform that we have today. We did have some headwinds. You know, Our index business continued to show some declines because of market performance, even though we had a lot of, of great inflows into our funds. Um, and we also have a challenging IPO environment, which resulted in flat revenue for our listings business. However, despite that, we had really strong growth um, in our anti-financial crime business, 18% growth there. And we had our first win with our first tier uh, in a tier one client. So a trillion dollar um, asset bank has chosen to use our fraud solutions for with our anti-financial crime business. So we're really excited about that, a great milestone for us. And then we continue to show growth across the rest of the platform with a 7% ARR growth. That's your biggest growing business right now, the anti-financial crime? It is, it's our fastest growing business. We are really pleased to see that we signed 42 clients in the quarter. Um, and again, we had a tier two client as well as a tier one client come with us. In, in terms of IPOs, new listings, um, th- th- there's not much improvement that you see if you look out for the rest of the year, is there? Well, I think that right now we actually had 30 companies come public in the first quarter. We had a 91% win rate, so we're pretty proud of that. Um, but you're right, you know, it is a pretty quiet environment right now. There are uh, just under 150 companies that are looking to list on NASDAQ when the, when the market really kind of opens up and is receptive. But I still think that investors are wanting to see a more certain economic environment. They want to understand where do the interest rates settle out, where does inflation settle out. And if they can see those two factors become more known, they'll be more confident in being able to predict the future, which then allows them to underwrite risk better. So, you know, maybe we'd see some uh, you know, growth in activity as we get later into the year, but I think right now it continues to be quiet. But that's the issue. I mean, if the Fed stops raising rates, that gives them certainty, even if the rates are longer, uh, higher for longer. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if a lot of people think a recession is coming, even if it's a mild one, is that a tempering factor too? It is a tempering factor, but the markets tend to run, you know, kind of predict the future. Right. So if they can say, okay, we now know that the rates aren't going to go significantly higher than where they are. Um, They also understand that inflation is starting to moderate and they can kind of see that as uh, a more predictable inflationary environment. Those are two macro factors that really factor into predicting future cash flows of a business. 
I mean, I think that that helps them then underwrite that risk. Then they have to look at the overall economic environment. Um, but even in more challenging environments, we do have companies go public because of the fact that investors aren't just underwriting that company for today. They're saying, what's that company going to do over the next five years? And they generally assume that recessions don't last forever. So they can, they, companies can go public even in a muted economic environment. Do you miss the days of, of the SPACs? I see it on your face. You, do, you, do you miss it at all? Are they gone for good? They're never coming. We've always focused on operating companies coming public, but of course, having SPACs become vehicles that allow operating companies to go public has, you know, that was a that was a helpful factor in terms of bringing more companies to the markets. Do you think it, it was a helpful factor, by the way, in the will, end? Will it be in a time capsule with NFTs? I think that we have to recognize that SPACs were um, became very active because of the fact we had kind of a free money environment. In an environment where money costs money, which is the environment we're in and we will be in now for you know, probably uh, some concept. period of time, yes. I think it's a very different um, value but proposition. Do you think those ever SPACs. come back? Well, we've had SPACs come into the market actually since 2010. So they've always been a, a small part of the market. Right. I think they became a big part of the market when the interest rate environment was so receptive to them. But do you think they've been so tainted now that it's, it's sort of... Um, we're still seeing SPACs come out into the market, and they still find combinations. And I think that there's, there's, that's a cottage industry that's existed right. for a long time. Adina, let's talk a little bit about AI. NASDAQ is obviously um, a home to a lot of technology companies, but also you're a market that really uses technology to, for, for everything that you're doing. You, you see the debate on AI. Where do you come down on it? And by the way, do you use AI here? At the we NASDAQ? do, actually. So we've been working hard over the last decade, in fact, to really make sure that we modernize our technology stack, that we bring more of our technology into the cloud, that we turn our services more into SaaS services. And all of that investment we've been making, including our markets, by the way, we've been modernizing our markets to bring them into the cloud. We had our first options market go into the cloud at the end of last year, where we're second coming the end of this year, that the fact that we have that, that capability and that underpinning in our infrastructure allows us to take advantage of AI. And we do use AI in our anti-financial crime solutions. It's, an under, it's a core part of those solutions. That is why to we, we are, activity we are to looking at patterns. and trying to root out criminal behavior yeah. within the, the broader financial system, the banks, um, as well as in the markets. And as a result of that, I think our solutions truly are the best in the world because of the use of AI in, embedded in those solutions. And now we're actually starting to bring um, AI into the markets. We have our first AI-driven order type that uh, is on file at the SEC, which is designed to improve fill rates and actually with min you know, while minimizing market impact. So we're looking at how can we use AI in the markets to be, uh, have more dynamic order types to improve the experience for investors. You see the so, debate, though, about AI and is it going too far too fast? Do we need to stop and slow things down? And I guess if you start playing out worst case scenarios, nuclear launches are worse, but the markets wouldn't be great either if some well, AI took over and you couldn't shut it down. Well, I think that the way to look at it is there's, you know, AI is a tool and it can be used for good purposes and it can be used for bad purposes. And definitely it is a fast evolving space. But our, my view is that technological innovation is an unstoppable force. And if there are the potential for very bad, per, bad uses, use cases, it is really, really incumbent upon firms like ourselves, who are there to protect the financial system, to protect the markets, that we also get to use that technology. And we're positioned to use the technology to the best of our ability in order to protect against those bad those I was bad gonna behaviors. say, are the bad guys using AI? I think you have to assume that, that nefarious players are gonna use the best technology that's available to them and they do not have regulators. So they're gonna use it regardless of what the regulators say. 
at, at the end, so therefore, the regulators really need to think about how can this technology actually be harnessed for the right purposes? How can we bring it into the markets? How can we bring it into the financial system in a way to protect it, in a way to make sure that we combat the bad players? The and that's actually a big part of our, our strategy. Division, have you seen bad guys trying to use AI already and tried to? I, I think that you have to, I mean, within uh, fraudulent behaviors and other things, I think that you'd have to assume that um, they're using advanced algorithms to try to figure out how to get themselves across the financial system. What's great about our anti-financial crime solutions is we pool data across 2,500 banks. So we can see the, the criminals kind of moving across the banks, right. not just within one bank. And that makes our AI capabilities much, much stronger um, as a result, you know, result we, of being able to pool that data. We all sit here sort of dazzled by ChatGPT and sort of the, you know. It is a lot of fun. The poetry it? that it can yes. create. But it feels like AI has already been in the financial markets for so long. And the question is sort of how advanced that really is. And maybe we don't really understand it. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different types of um, AI. And right. we do use reinforcement learning. We use computer vision and other things to help us um, manage our markets. Right. And man we actually use predictive AI to help predict the way that our infrastructure might be changing so that we have to make, we can kind of use that to make sure we're allocating our servers the right way. So right. there are a lot of different ways to use AI beyond generative AI. Um, as we look at this next generation, which is generative AI, which people like right. to call ChatGPT, uh, it's a new thing, um, it's exciting, but it's just one way that you can use you know, machine learning and reinforcement learning to, to drive actually really interesting outcomes for investors, right. as well as to protect the system. I've wondered when it made the move from computer-aided design, computer-aided manufacturing, computer-aided engineering, computer-aided this, that, and that. that was all artificial intelligence back yeah. then. When did it, it was ChatGPT that, it was the quantum leap to where we talk about this thing like it's... Well, because I think it's so tangible and practical. Also, as we think about the yeah. use of GPT, one of the great things that we can use it for is we call it kind of a co-pilot for coding. Right. Yeah. You know, so it allows you to be more I mean, efficient a in coding. A, a pilot so many use plane. cases. So my question to you, though, flight. as somebody, and I don't know if you own the data. Is it your data? Someone's going to want to train off of everything in here, right? And someone's yeah. going to separately want to train off of everything on the NYSE and the other exchanges and the end off of these various terminals. And if you're a bank, you're going to want that information. And if you're an investor, you're to, so that you have all of it at your fingertips. Is that a business you create? Is that a business you license your data to? And how much of it is a business that you're scared that you're actually going to be ripped off because it's just all going to get scraped and you're not going to get paid for any of it? Well, we've been managing our data for decades. In fact, as you know, I ran the data business for yes. a long time. And so we license our data out to Everybody right anyone. now. So billions of people have access to Nasdaq's market data right. for the purpose, for whatever purposes they're going to But here's the thing. Right now, that, that information is being licensed. It right? is being licensed and we have okay. ways that And if we can somebody decides it. to scrape it once, they now have it Forever. But we have the ability, well, first of all, the to value learn off of, that, of the but technology. The, but that, to, the I mean, value, to learn off the data. But that va the value of the data is often in the real time element of it. It's kind of, and so therefore, as they continue right. to, and so we, you don't think we the do have the historical doesn't help. We do have the ability, by the way, to, to make sure that if they're scraping it, we get paid for that. But, but how, just so you know. But, but how do you, the, but yeah, how do you know? Data. This is the thing that nobody knows. Yeah, sure. How do you know if, and I'm not even talking about scraped in the classic sense. Right now, my understanding is if one of these services can just read that data once and mm -hmm. see it once, 
they can then use it forever. Of course. So that's what we call time series data. So if you kind of, yes, people use time series data to help them develop models. And so there's value to that. Um, but actually, the markets provide that data on a 15-minute delay for free. Um, so that is already out right. there um, on a consolidated basis for free. I think that it's really the real-time data that we, okay. that we license out. And on the back of that, we are very good at making sure that we know how that data is being used right. across the platforms. Adina, thank you. Thank you very much. It's good great to see you. To see you. Sorkin, um, Carrie Russell? Yeah. The diplomat? Yeah. She's a freaking Russian spy. Well, in the Americans. She's not a Russian spy. Not in this. Well, did they check her background when they she's made a, her a dip, an American? A, huh? People American didn't know she now. was a spy. I mean, her kids didn't know she was a. Getting your shows confused. Did you know that? After this break, Squawk Pod returns with more on the Dominion voting systems defamation lawsuit against Fox News, the 11th hour settlement, and what it means for Fox shareholders and staff. Seasoned media executive and one of the founders of CNBC, Tom Rogers. The shareholder derivative suits that are going to follow. When a shareholder sues on behalf of the corporation, officers and directors for transgressions of their duties to the company. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Fox paying $787.5 million to Dominion Voting Systems to settle a defamation lawsuit related to false claims that Dominion's machines influenced the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. With us now, Tom Rogers, Engine Media Executive Chairman, former NBC president and a CNBC contributor. Also joining us, Barton Crockett, Senior Analyst at Rosenblatt Securities. Good morning to both of you. Tom, this is a clearly a, a massive uh, and huge uh, payout. The question is, is it the last? There's still, of course, uh, one more of these these cases with a, a bigger ask even on the table. Company has four billion dollars in cash, actually, probably now about three point two billion. Uh, but what is the impact to you of this? Well, good morning, Andrew. There's clearly going to be another payout in the Smartmatic suit. Uh, market price has kind of been established for Fox uh, not having to take this to uh, trial. Uh, I think the bigger implication, though, in terms of uh, management of the company and ultimately if heads are going to roll and whether things related to on-air apologies may need to occur, something that was not a condition of the settlement here, are the shareholder derivative suits that are going to follow. Shareholder derivative suits being when a shareholder sues on behalf of the corporation, uh, officers and directors for transgressions of their uh, duties to the company. And in fact, you could sue third parties that are not directors and officers that could also be shown to transgress their duties to a company. 
Um, that that is uh, a whole different level of uh, worry for the management and board there, uh, given what has come out. And uh, while I would expect another big check to be written in the Smartmatic uh, uh, case, uh, the implications for shareholder derivative suits here and what flows from that is probably the bigger drama. So uh, b- before we get to, uh, to Barden, what do you think the future of Fox is then and the future of the management of Fox, both uh, Rupert, his son Lachlan, and all of the other folks who run the company on a day-to-day basis? Well, I think the uh, implication, uh, as I said, is, is, is probably not going to come from another uh, s- uh, settlement of this type. Right, but does that uh, mean in- that they're fired? Do they have insurance against this? Are they being sued for hundreds of millions of dollars that they have or don't have? Is Rupert Murdoch personally being sued for a certain amount of money based on some of the emails that we've seen? What happens in a shareholder derivative suit is, you know, typically uh, directors and officers both have director and officer liability insurance and are indemnified by the corporation. But when a shareholder sues on behalf of the corporation to effectively pay the corporation back for damages that you created, uh, that indemnity and that director and officer's insurance uh, uh, may well not cover them. And so you're dealing with personal liability issues there, uh, huge potential cost and damage. You're also dealing with settlement implications where the kind of uh, uh, oversight of the company going forward uh, would be at issue. And if oversight of the company going forward is being issued, uh, that's when you could have management changes and board changes and uh, the kind of things that uh, uh, people have been talking about, which which uh, right. we're not going to emanate from uh, these uh, uh, company lawsuits. Hey, Barton, how do you think about this in the context of the, the current valuation of the company and the future of it? Well, look, I mean, they've got um, plenty of cash. Uh, they got a lot of free cash flow. Um, this settlement, a Smartmatic settlement at the same size, it's about a dollar a share after tax. I don't think there's insurance coverage for these particular uh, settlements. And, uh, um, you know, I think that certainly there's going to be more lawyering, um, you know, they should have professional level uh, attorneys making sure they don't get anywhere close to defaming anyone or anything again, which I think most media companies have figured that out and they can figure it out. Um, you know, the, the issue that Tom speaks to, I think, is a big imponderable. Um, and, uh, um, you know, at this point, it doesn't really factor. And in my view, I've got a neutral rating on Fox. I think the bigger issue is, uh, you know, brands that people love, but a lot of pressure on the pay TV ecosystem. Um, and then these type of things are just the noise that are, you know, in the background that you don't like to have. Hey, hey Tom, I, I've just been wondering if, if there weren't these uh, these additional shareholder lawsuit problems, um, if Rupert could just if the if the ratings didn't change one iota from any of this, do you think he'd just leave the status quo? Does, would he make a move? He's been known to just say, I don't care what mainstream media says. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm Rupert Murdoch. I'm going to do. I don't think I'm not convinced he'd make any changes at all uh, because I think they like the rate. They're they're by, by far and away the most watched cable network. Right. Well, all, all cable news ratings are down, but uh, in terms of whether this action has any impact on the ratings of Fox so far, no, you couldn't see any. And no. as I said. There was no implication. So would he make any changes? Will will he be forced to do things? I think the tricky issue is going to be the campaign of Donald Trump going forward. That too. And how they cover him. 
because if uh, wild, untrue statements are made, uh, how they cover that going forward, echoing them versus clearly uh, drawing a line as to what he is saying as a newsmaker versus what they may be saying on air that suggests they are adopting that. I would imagine there will be some uh, new rules going forward in the news division about that kind of coverage, because otherwise they could end up in this same situation again. Tom, we always appreciate uh, talking to you. Barton, thank you. We got to jump. Thanks so much. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for being here. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And please, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Squawk CNBC. Reach out anytime. And we'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.